Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. Somebody asked me last night, uh, where'd you get the idea that Adam and Eve were born innocent, not perfect, and that they could make mistakes and it would still be okay? I had to think about it and reflect on it and realize I got it from the church father Irenaeus. Irenaeus said that we were born with the image of God, but that in a state of union with God, we were meant to grow up into the likeness of God achieving its fullness. Of course, the Greek word for that we render in English perfect is a little um, misleading. A little misleading to render the word perfect when probably the better rendering is mature or complete. And so Irenaeus kind of had that vision of like babies that are born innocent, with all their potential built into them, their potential was meant to, to grow up in union with God where no mistakes that they could make would ever be counted as sins at all. They weren't, they weren't sins, right? And also, you know, even the garden, the, the earth wasn't created perfect either. They were meant to multiply and subdue and, and take the chaos of the earth and make the whole earth an Eden. As they multiplied, the garden would have grown along with them, which is, of course, our job. That's our job. We are the image bearers of God with dominion from God over the creation so that it's flourishing and thriving and the will of God is coming through us, aligning with God as the sons of God, manifesting the will of God on the earth. Separate topic. A little, Also a little follow-up from the fact that Stan and I have been praying for a lot of y'all all week long and we didn't really talk about that we were going to be prophesying over people. Um, we don't, I don't even call it prophecy half the time. I just say, can I pray for you? And I'll let you tell me if I prophesied, if you know what I mean, right? Like, I don't need a word from the Lord. I love you, and I can just pray love for you, and that's good. That's good. God will honor my prayers because I'm his son, right? I don't need to hear a word from the Lord to encourage you. But if you say, oh, man, that was, that was, that was on point, then you're telling me that was a prophetic word. But since we did so much of that, I feel like I want to give just a few little caveats about prophecy. First uh, Thessalonians 5 says, don't treat prophecies with contempt. Why would that be a temptation? Because we've seen some stupid crap. There's a temptation to treat prophecy with contempt because people misuse good gifts. And I've been prophesied over in such a way that it's manipulation and control, and, I, and it would be tempting to say, throw the whole thing away. Throw the whole thing away. But, but Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. Here's what you should do. Test prophecies. So you'll notice we haven't been saying, thus saith the Lord over you. Because if we test it beforehand and affirm it with, thus saith the Lord, that discourages you from doing your job of testing the word. And you have heard me ask, most of you who I prayed over, did any of that resonate? Did anything not resonate? Did I hurt your feelings in any way? Can we talk about it if I did? And the reason I do that is because I want feedback because I want to grow in hearing God because I want to be helpful to you. And you're the expert on whether I'm hearing from God, not me. Does that make sense? Okay. And I have more to say on that, but I'm not gonna do it. Prophecy should be encouraging. Right? Prophecy should be encouraging. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, those who prophesy speak to people, building them up and giving them encouragement and comfort. Just because you can walk into a room and see all the secret sins of the people around you doesn't make you a prophet. That's just called discernment. It's not that impressive. Anyone can find the dirt. If you want to impress me, find the gold. Prophecy is actually what Jesus is saying. It's not just seeing what, oh my word, dysfunctional home life, sexual sin, oh my word. Oh, walk up to the person, you have a dysfunctional home life and sexual sin. Dude, that's not a prophetic word. You're an idiot. Stop it. Stop it. You're killing people. A prophetic word is what Jesus is saying. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Just because you have that revelation doesn't mean you say that revelation. Sorry, I'm going off on the teaching. 
And prophecy, by the way, is not frosting on the cake. It's actually more like the oil mixed with the flour to make the bread. It's essential to the body of Christ. And cannot, we can't lose it. We have to get it back. We has to function. And the reason it has to function is because Paul says, Timothy, use the prophecy spoken over you to fight the good fight of faith. There's going to be a call on your life from God that you discern. And as you fight the fight to live out your calling, the prophecies are useful in keeping you on the path when all the fight happens. Jesus heard a word from the Father. You're my son. You're the beloved. I love you. I'm pleased. And what's the first thing that happened in the wilderness? What did the devil go after? If you are the very word the Father spoke over him, as soon as it was spoken, the enemy came to sift, to test, to try to separate Jesus from the word the Father spoke. So here's what I know. Every word of God over your life will be sifted and attacked by the evil one. And sometimes a word from God brings the opposite of what it promises in the short term. Because our call is to walk by faith, not by sight. Anywho, are you okay? Y'all are quiet. I switched this morning's topic, Erica. I told you it was going to be both and more Christianity. I, I, last night, I was like looking at my both and more notes, and I was like, this isn't, this, isn't what, this isn't for them. And then I opened this file, and I said, this is right. This is right. So we're going to do questions God loves to answer, and some he doesn't. All right? So all my life, I've heard. Wait, I have to, I have to say this to myself. Beginning sermon in three, two, one, go. All my life, I don't know why my brain likes beginnings and endings. I've heard, faith is a crutch for weak people. Well, that's interesting. Faith is a fairy tale that weak people tell themselves because it's too scary to feel alone in the universe. So we want a big daddy in the sky. So we feel okay. And I say, well, that's interesting because if faith is a crutch for weak people and a fairy tale that people tell themselves to get by, then how's come my Jesus sees me with my crutches, walks up and kicks out my crutches and takes a pin and pops my fairy tales and says, I want you to feel your feelings, face your problems, and own your deceptions. If it's a fairy tale for weak people, how's come? How's come? He does that. A lot of us turn to destructive habits to cover our pain, right? Drugs, alcohol, cutting, whatever else. They're actually misguided solutions. The things that people view as problems are usually solutions, right? Drug addiction is a solution to a deeper problem, but then it becomes such a problem that people are like, man, if I could just get free of drugs, I could be alive again. Then they get free of drugs, but they don't deal with the deeper problem, and they become a dry drunk, at least what Alcoholics Anonymous calls a dry drunk. That's a person who doesn't drink, but they're still miserable, which is why they started drinking. And some people's whole life is, is centered around trying to get free of answers to problems that they're not facing. Did you catch that? Getting free of our coping me mechanisms without actually dealing with the root issue, we got that coping me mechanism in our life in the first place, isn't helpful. Which is why I say, my Jesus kicks out my crutches. Answers... Answers have to answer the deep question, the root level question, for those answers to be meaningful. And you heard me say at the first session that living honestly with God, or something to the effect of living honestly with God with the right questions and with the right doubts is actually more faithful than giving the right answers, because I should. 
God regularly asks me to stop my self-medicating. By the way, prayer can be self-medicating. I went to college and there was a young lady and she was going to the, the school's counselor and he said, you need to stop praying so much. What? Yeah. You're running away from your problems by the good feelings you get when you sing and worship and pray. What are you talking about? That's like what it's for. No, that's not. That's not what it's for. And until you learn to face your problems, prayer for you is an escape from reality. And I'm like, that was just like, wise counselor that didn't even fit in my box at the time. You know, like when Davy Slaybaugh was like, I stopped reading my Bible when I felt like it was religious, so I took a break for three days. And I was like, oh, he stopped reading his Bible. You know, now I think he's like the smartest man alive, you know. Wow, he was so attentive to how it was landing on his soul. I'm backing up because I don't have a wide enough angle of view in my human eye sockets to see all of you easily. Needs a 10 mil 10, I need a 10 millimeter lens on these eyes. Why did I go into George W. Bush accent? I have no idea. So God regularly asks me to stop my self-medicating and sit in my pain until I actually arrive not at the right answer, but the right question. Jesus leads me more by questions than by answers. By doubts more than certainties. Actually, I have a little sermon I haven't written yet called certainty is rarely an option. So hearing God, hearing God. A primary way that God heals the root issues of our heart is by speaking. To create the universe, what did God do? To calm storms, what did Jesus do? To heal bodies, sometimes, what did Jesus do? He spoke to the condition. That's, a, that's different than some people pray by, right? Some people pray, Lord, if it be your will, would just ask that you'd heal this disease. But if not, then we thank you that it's for your glory. Filed under dumb crap Jesus never said. He commanded the pain to go. He commanded the sickness to go. He commanded the demon to go. And you can too. By speaking, he spoke to the condition. How does he create? How does he heal? How does he bring his will to earth? And how does he heal our hearts and open our eyes to a totally different perspective? He speaks. One day around 1997, I remember saying, you know, God, these conversations that I'm having with you are completely one-sided, uh, monologue, <laughs> you know? And you have heard me enough to know I have a lot of words. I do all the talking. God, would it be okay with you if, when I talk to you, I sort of creatively uh, imagined what you might say back to me if you were here standing face to face with me? And instantly in my thought, this is what came to me. Just, just a little thought. Just boop. Yeah, that's fine. Just make sure that what you imagine me saying is consistent with my Bible. And I said, cool. Did that ever since in my journal. So I would journal my conversations with God, sort of like creative writing assignments, right? I would write out my 
extremely morose, overly, overly introspective, navel-gazing questions and problems and struggles. And then I would journal what my best sense of what the voice of loving truth might be saying in response. And the things that, that I heard, if you want to use that, I think heard is a little strong. The things that I sensed or intuited God might be saying, I put a dotted line around them. And then when I would put a scripture, if a scripture came to my mind, when I put a scripture in my, that was really noisy. When I put a scripture in my journal, I'd put a solid line around it. Because, I mean, the Bible is the Bible. And my little prayer thing is my prayer thing. It's a different category. As I reflect on the character, and I, what I didn't, and I also was begging God for the gift of prophecy. And I don't think the word begging is the wrong word to use for what I was doing. I read in the Bible, right, that says eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Lust, actually, is the Greek word. Lust after spiritual gifts. Well, that's interesting. I was sort of taught that's bad. Spiritual gifts, they're dangerous to the unity of the church. No, pride is dangerous to the unity of the church. Spiritual gifts build the church up. Humble people with spiritual gifts will build the church up. Proud people with spiritual gifts will tear the church up. But lust after spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, because it's especially helpful at building other people up. And when I read that, Paul basically telling me, if you believe the Bible, you should be praying for this gift and lusting after it and trying to learn it. Then I started doing that. All the while, I didn't realize that my little prayer journals were me being secretly trained by Jesus in the gift of prophecy. I had no, no sense that those two things were the same thing. None, which is silly, but I didn't see it. As I reflect on the character of the kind of things that God has said to me over the years, I think of three words, comfort, encouragement, and wisdom. Was it wrong for me to say crap in this context? Are we not allowed to use that word in here? Faculty, Was that, is that off limits? Should I revise that in my life? No, no feedback right now? Did I offend anyone? I'm dead serious. Well, I felt like it was over the line, so I'm sorry. Okay. Call it foolishness. Call it unhelpful. Oh, unhelpful. That's John Showalter's word. Like, it could be the worst heresy in the whole history of the life, and he'd be like, that's not helpful. I love that. I love that. He's astigiously avoiding the sin of exaggeration, because I think exaggeration is a sin. Anyway, all right, back on point. As I think about the character of the things God has said to me over the years, comfort, encouragement, and wisdom, the things God's saying, right? There's voices we hear. We all hear voices, a lot of voices. You hear voices in your head. Some of you think that your vo the voices in your head are you, and they're not you. Some, not every voice in your head is you. For real. Comfort, encouragement, hope. Comfort. When I'm hurting, God is comfort. You know what he says? A lot. He says just two little words. I know. I know. I know. I know. But it's like rubbing your back, hurting with you. I know. You're crying. You're sobbing. I know. I know. I know. I know. And he does. He knows. He's been there. He feels it, and he didn't just feel it back in the day, 2,000 years ago. He feels it now, and he's feeling with me. I know, I know. 
Last year, he told me one of his primary love languages with me is touch. The man of sorrows is familiar with all of my griefs. Man, isn't that nice that we're not required to be like shiny, happy people holding hands? Like we're, it's, we're, you don't have to like make yourself pretend to be happy to be a Christian. Good. Praise God for that, you know? How you doing? I'm dying. How you doing? Good morning, you know? Oh, well, can I pray for you? Please do. Yeah, and I'll pray for you too. He weeps with those who mourn. He tells us to do it, right? Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Weep with those who mourn. Why would he tell us to do it if he doesn't do it? Well, he does it. He does it. So comfort is one. Second characteristic of the things God's told me over the years, encouragement. Encouragement. When I'm doubtful and when I'm fearful, which is right now, (laughs) you know, like a daily thing with Tim. (laughs) He lifts my confidence again that his purpose for my life is going to come to pass, not because of me, but because of the best thing he ever told me. I am with you. I am with you. It's the only factor in that algebra equation that I need to fixate on. Like, here's all my deficiencies, and they just can't trump I am with you. (laughs) Okay, you don't seem nearly as encouraged by that as I am. But encouragement, I'm with you. And the, the, the nature of the things that God says to me are encouraging, which is one way you can kind of tell if it's not God that you think you hear. Is that the Lord? He tells me I just don't pray enough. Oh, is that the Lord? Oh, man, we had one dude who does not attend our services. Told a dude at the altar, you've been having your devotions? Well, that's why you got carpal tunnel. You ain't been having your devotions. All right, drop kick you off the prayer team. We didn't actually dropkick anyone. We don't believe in doing those sorts of things. These are jokes, people. Wisdom. Comfort, encouragement, wisdom. God gives me advice that's not just clever. It's not just smart. It's wise. It's one of the ways that I go, when God says something to me that I'm like, I think that's God. Because it's like, actually, I'm not smart enough to come up with that one. That was God. He lifts my perspective to see things differently. Some of God's one-liners have, have literally reshaped my theological worldview. One-liners, like one line from God. One night, it was like one in the morning, and I'm sitting on the red couch, the corner couch in our living room, and Jesus is sitting next to me on the couch, and he says, he takes his hand, and he puts it inside his chest, and he touches his heart. He says, Tim, I'd, like to, I'd love to take you into my heart and show you what it's like when love is all there is. Meaning, here's what, here's what I see, one sentence. But what I heard, what I sensed was he was saying, he doesn't struggle with, with, he doesn't struggle with the things I struggle with because his only motive is love, so he never has to forgive because he never got hurt and offended in the first place. He never had discouraged bitterness because they didn't like him because he was always for you. He weeps for you, not for himself. He has griefs, but not for him. Sin against him never creates sin in him because his only motive is love, and that's what he's trying to do with me. Make me the kind of person that would can freely walk into the suffering of the world without sin around me creating sin in me because love is my only motive. 
And there's freedom there, and there's life there. See, one line from Jesus. I didn't make that up. And guess what? You hear God. Every one of you hears God. Every one of you. Hearing the voice of God is the birthright of every believer. I'll go further. You can't be born again unless you first hear God. Paul says this, all whom he called. What is the call of God? You go, well, I didn't hear a voice. I didn't say with your ears. Listen, to hear God happens in a thousand ways. To read the Bible and have it smell true is hearing God. To do something right and feel pleasure in it can be hearing God. To see a need and feel a pull to meet it with compassion can be hearing God. To sin and go, oh, I wish I didn't do that, can be hearing God. John 10, 27, y'all know this verse, my sheep, what? Hear, he didn't, he said, my sheep hear my voice. He didn't say my sheep. Sometimes some of my sheep hear my voice. Special sheep with profit bracelets here. I got a friend, he, she came back from a conference and she's like, I was at this conference and this guy prophesied all this crazy stuff over me. I said, what'd he say? He told me I was going to own businesses and he told me I was going to make all this money. He told me I was going to have all these properties and I was going to be like a landlord and all this money was going to be coming in. And I took one look at her and I was like, mm-mm. None of that. Not one of them. Not one of them things was true. Every time I pray over this little widow woman, well, her husband was a physically still alive, ex. In my heart, she was a widow in the way that she was treated and lived, okay? Walking by faith, crazy faith, most faith, gift of faith. Every time I ever got around her, my spirit said faith, rich in faith, tenacious faith. Never had much. Always had enough, supernaturally crazy. Girl couldn't manage anything. No management gifts, no administrative gifts, nothing. Nothing smelled true on that. I said, tell me about this prophet. Well, he had a diamond-encrusted gold necklace thing with the word prophet on his chest. I said, say no more. <laughs> Jesus didn't say some of his sheep hear his voice. He didn't see. I got more faith. I have more faith in regular saints Regular saints in regular churches, reading regular Bibles, praying regular prayers, living regular lives. I got way more faith for them to have pure discernment of the voice of the Lord than any big name so-called prophet that's like, listen to the word of the Lord. Here's what I told me. Here's what I saw. I'm like, how about you slow down and just get your house in order and live well? But anywho, I just have more faith in the regular Christians of a church to discern the word than any, in any of that. But Jesus didn't say some sheep hear his voice. He didn't say we might hear his voice. He didn't say if we tried harder, if we got holier, if we figured it out, if we were perfect, if we were a pure vessel. And you, you know I believe in holiness. But he said, all my sheep hear my voice. Look, I heard his voice when I was high on drugs, crazy high, high as a kite, trying to get higher, trying to get me away from me, trying to hide from me because me is my problem and me was what I was medicating away. I still heard his voice. He said, we hear his voice. 
Here's some things I found. Identifying God's voice is much easier when my heart is in a posture of openness and trust. And identifying God's voice is way harder when I'm anxious. I'm anxious. I also found there's questions God is not interested in answering. And there's questions God is interested in answering that he seems to love to answer. And you say, okay, Tim, what are the questions God's not interested in answering? Okay. God's not interested in answering questions in my experience, Tim's experience. Yours could be different. Your mileage may vary. God doesn't seem interested in answering questions where we just want him to tell us what to do. Just tell me what to do. And in other words, he's really not that interested most of the time. Now, I know there are exceptions, my friends. Even in the Bible, there are exceptions to what I'm telling you. And I can think of three off the top of my head. But God doesn't usually seem interested in answering yes or no questions where we treat God like a magic eight ball. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I do this? They, are, they seem almost like conversation killers with God. God, should I? God, should I? Questions tend not to get answers. God, should I marry so-and-so? And he's like, you ain't, I'm, I'm not telling you the answer. Then you'll blame me the rest of your life every time it's hard. Own your own freaking decisions, boy. Do you want to marry her? Are you willing to die for her? You want to lay your life down for her? All right. Okay. You can marry her. You can marry the other one. You can marry that one. I don't care. Pick a good one. And then heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, preach the gospel, serve the poor. Let's go. I don't care. Pick a good one. I want your heart. Don't pick that one. That's not a good one. But that's the one I love. You're stupid. You know? God, should I marry so-and-so? God, should I be a plumber or should I be a missionary? God, should I live in Toledo or should I live in Tokyo? And God just stands there, blinking. I'm not saying he won't answer. I'm not saying he can't answer. I'm not saying he doesn't answer. And I'm not saying that if you pray like this, he, you're not going to get an answer. But I will say this. Ezekiel says that when we ask the Lord a question with an idol in our heart, the answer we hear will be filtered through the idol in our heart. Selah. I think the God just tell me what to do questions, they involve a distorted view of God, a distorted view of what a human is, and a basic misunderstanding of what it means to be led by the Spirit of God as though Jesus didn't know what shoes to wear in the morning until the Holy Spirit told him or some nonsense. Lord, should I eat a Mars bar or a Snickers? And he says, payday. You know, no, although pay, well, now I made myself one up, payday. But, but it's a basic misunderstanding about what it means to be led by the Spirit that seems to me really popular, especially in charismatic circles. Tell me what to do. God, just tell me what to do is the mindset that the Israelites had after 400 years of living in slavery under the pharaohs. The pharaohs taught them, you better act right, or you're going to get smacked right. The pharaohs taught them that to be pleased, to be pleased, you have to let me, if you want me to be pleased with you, you have to let me control you. Slaves. I want slaves. I want obedient slaves. Y'all, it's, it's a lot harder to get the slavery out of the Israelites than it is to get the Israelites out of slavery. Like, it takes a long time to get them Israelites out of a slave mindset. Took like a day to get them out of slavery. 
Be perfect or be punished, they learned. Hard to please and nothing's ever enough. So we prayed over some of y'all. God's easy to please. God's easy to please. He's easy to please. He's easy to please. Listen, if you hear the Lord tell you to pick up the trash while you're out taking a walk, pick up the trash. But if you want to know if it's the Holy Spirit, don't pick up the trash and see if condemnation happens. Or if you just realize, hmm, I could have picked up the trash. Some of us have been so familiar with control and manipulation that we, we would gladly accept a counterfeit Holy Spirit. Jesus is the least controlling person I've ever met, and he has no desire to control you. None. He doesn't want control of your life. And nor does he want to use you. Stop praying that way. You're not a prostitute. Moses, you go up and meet with God, and you just tell us what to do. We're terrified. You go up and meet with the Lord, Moses. Why? Why did the Israelites not want to go up the mountain and meet with the Lord? Fear. Fear of what? Fear, fear of punishment. Fear of punishment. Why? Because I'm going to fail if I'm not perfect. If I'm not perfect and I fail, he's going to punish me. You go. Fear of mistakes. God never wanted robots, man. He doesn't want mindless slaves. He doesn't even want to control us. He wants sons and daughters who know who we are, whose we are, what he's like, what kinds of things please him so that we can creatively partner with the Holy Spirit. One day I said, Lord, what am I supposed to preach this next weekend? And he said, what do you want to preach? What's on your heart? And I said, uh, I'm uncomfortable with this line of reasoning. What do you want me to preach about this next weekend? And he said, what do you want to preach about? What's on your heart? And I said, uh, I'm uncomfortable with this line of reasoning. Can you tell me what to preach? And he said, you have a fear of failure. So you want me to tell you what to do. I already know what I would preach if I were on the earth. I made you because I wanted to know what you would preach about. I want your fingerprints on it. I put my heart in you and I trust you. What do you want to say? God, you're kind of freaking me out right now. Yeah, I know I'm freaking you out right now because you have a fear of failure. And somebody might say, well, then what good is hearing God's voice if he's not going to just tell me what to do? I got choices to make. And I need answers pronto. I need to know if I should date so-and-so or so-and-so. I need to know if I should go to that school or this school. I need to know if I should live in that city or that city. I need to know. All right, Discipleship 101. We primarily discern God's will using the Bible. I don't know why I sang that. You don't need to hear God's voice in prayer to know whether you should rob a bank or kill a guy who, you, who annoys you, right? You don't know, you don't need a word from the Lord in prayer to know whether you should date a non-Christian or cheat on a test. You don't need a special leading of the Lord to give to the poor, to encourage someone who looks discouraged, to pray for the sick to be healed. You know what you need to know to see whether it's the will of God to heal them or not? Are they sick or not? The end. There's no sickness in heaven, therefore pray for healing on earth. And if it doesn't happen, as long as you loved him well, you did your job. Yeah. I can't heal you, but I sure can love you. And I did my job. And you don't need a word from the Lord or a leading from the Lord. Some people are like, yeah, but I didn't feel led. So here's a little life hack for you. You, you get one of them little, little wheel weights at the hardware. Like you go to the, 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 uh, the auto store, and you get one of them little, little wheel weights, and then you put it in your pocket, the one you use to balance the tire. You put it in your pocket. And then the next time that you see an opportunity to do good in Jesus' name that only just like takes a minute, 
Then you reach into your pocket, and now that you're feeling led, get on with it. It's a little secret life hack for Pentecostals. I'm feeling lit all the time. It's a dad joke. You're welcome. So what kind of questions, if those are the kind of questions God does not love, what kind of questions does God love? You like that little stupid joke? That's funny that you like that one. You didn't like some of my dark humor, but like, okay. Let me give you some examples of questions that in my experience praying with hundreds of people, God really loves to answer. You ready? You're going to get answers to these questions. Holy Spirit, what is the Father like? God, are there any lies that I'm believing about you? When did I first learn that lie? God, where were you when that terrible thing happened? Where were you? See, a lot of people ask that not as a real question. They ask it as an accusation. But there's an answer. And the answer, it'll change your life. God, what is the truth that replaces that lie? Or how about this one? Hey, Jesus, good to see you. Is there anything on your heart that you want to talk to me about today? Oh, you mean treating him like he is real and has feelings and thoughts and opinions? A <laughs> shocking idea. You know, if we treated our friends and spouse and whatever like we treat God, they'd be like, this relationship is weird. They run into the room, tell me a bunch of stuff they feel guilty about, ask me to do a bunch of stuff, and then run out of the room. This is the weirdest relationship I've ever experienced. I don't feel very seen or understood by them. This is awkward. Maybe one day it won't quite be so about them. Just ask him how he's doing. Sorry, that one wasn't in the list, but... God, is there anything I'm carrying that I need to release to you? And I had to put this on the list, but you might not, you might not find it as easy as some of the others. God, who do I need to forgive? Christians are funny. If I say, who do you need to forgive? They go, no, and I love everyone. And then I ask a different question. Who hurt you? And they have a list. Same question. I am sneaky. Because these questions, I hear, you say, why? 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 Why does God answer these questions and like the other questions, he kind of goes silent? But I think because these questions go straight to the root issues that I talked about at the beginning, that we all have root issues, that we're using coping mechanisms and defense strategies and fantasies and escape plans and just save me from me. I just don't want to feel my feelings and think my thinkings and oh. And these questions go right to the root issues. One of the most life-changing questions that I ever asked the Lord was so terrifying. I'm sitting with my friend Bob and another guy who's now Nate, who's now in heaven. And they said, ask the Father how he sees you. And I was like, um, how about you just slap me and I leave? That'd be better. <laughs> Easier to deal with that pain than the pain I'm probably about to experience and feeling like an utter failure in hearing the exact reasons why. 
I braced myself because they told me I had to, and I believe in submission to authority, so I did. I said, okay, Father, gulp. How do you see me? And instantly I was in the Jordan River, and a dove flew like a jet airplane made of light and crashed into me, and a voice boomed around me and said, you are my son whom I love. I am pleased. And I cried for a long time because that's not what I expected to hear at all. See, because I didn't realize that God is relating to me through the covenant that his son cut with heaven. He's relating to me through that covenant. I just needed a bunch of upgrades. So who relates to this? Who relates to the idea of Jesus kicking out your crutches and making you face your unhappiness instead of just waving a magic wand and it all goes away? Poof. Remember my story about Dennis going up and hoping I had a demon and the Lord says, <laughs> it's just you. Who relates that there's, there's some work to be done? It would just be so much easier if it was a demon. I command them critters to go. Poop out a critter, free. You know, shouldn't have said poop. Now it makes the next question harder to get back to because you guys are chuckling. Who wants to know God better and develop your ability to hear God's voice? I do. See, prayer is, is opening your soul to God. That's what it is. If you look at what its essence is, because you can pray without saying words. At its essence, at its fundamental necessary essence, whatever else prayer is, it is opening your soul to God. And we find that when we do that, he opens his soul to us as well. And all it takes is you have to mean it. That's it. The only qualification. Just mean it. Well, it also takes time. <laughs> ah, oh, hmm. Yeah. It's 11.08. I'm over time. Stan and I are going to be here uh, till we have eaten lunch because I'm hungry. And uh, if we haven't prayed for you and you aren't in a class uh, just now, we would like to pray for anyone who has not yet received prayer. And any faculty who, can't, who doesn't have to just immediately disappear, we really want to pray over, over all staff and faculty if we haven't already. Uh, that's in Stan's heart real big. Um, what he said about the faculty make paying a high price to see this next generation really meet and encounter the reality of the kingdom of God, that's totally true. It's totally true. My heart for you is that if you want to reach out to me after this and say, hey, you hurt my feelings, I care and I want to fix it. Even if it was an accident and my intention was to be helpful, but I touched a wound or overstepped a boundary that I didn't know or any, anything like that. Or if you have questions, if you want encouragement, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of the idea of pop in one time, preach and pray and then leave and don't know you ever again. My desire would be lifelong friendships with people. I care how you're doing. And so please reach out. Thank you so much. One, two, three, done. Thanks for listening. 
If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.